the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back. Lifeline, Andy Froyland. And our number two tonight takes us back to uh, this gentleman who's been on before in times past. And we have him on once again. He has served, uh, let, me, let me read the back of the book for you, okay? He has served as a uh, master church planner, trainer for the North American Mission Board. He is the uh, content director of Exponential, coaches, uh, uh, co-host rather, of the Church Planter podcast, bivocational planter to over, uh, for over two decades. You'll have to pardon me, my, my peepers I, I, they're going to need an upgrade. Either that or Zondervan has to start putting bigger font on the back of their books. <laughs> Either one will work. Uh, he has planted churches in the open air at Long Beach and in Starbucks in Europe. Uh, he is the founder of the Newbury Church Planting Training Network, former evangelist of uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones's church in Sandfields. He's earned his master's in theology from Wales Evangelical School of Theology and actively trains and coaches bivocational planters and lives near San Diego with his wife and two kids. To sum it all, oh, and he's also got two previous books, Church Zero and Reaching the Unreached. Now, that took up about a minute and 20 seconds when all I could have and should have just said is, He's been a dear friend for close to 30 years. Peyton Jones right. visits us here tonight <laughs> on Lifeline. Brother, thanks for spending some time with us tonight, and welcome to the program, man. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I love doing these with you. It is always a blast, especially when you've got a new work that is, well, actually hitting today, right? Is it today or tomorrow? Yeah, today is launch day. Nice. I'm excited about this. And actually, as uh, somebody has already said, uh, this could actually be your magnum opus. You're uh, the, the top of Everest as far as your uh, writing work goes. Uh, this is like 400 pages of, of massive information on everything you wanted to know about church planting and why. It's called <laughs> Church Plantology, the Art and Science of Planting Churches. Uh, so what is plantology? Why, this title is intriguing, to say the least, brother. Well, it's a made-up word, and it's a word I made up because I think when we hear about church planting, often it's kind of like you wonder, am I, I'm hearing these guys talk about church planting, but they seem to be using a different playbook than what I'm reading about in Acts. So plantology was really a word that encapsulated what you see the apostles doing in Scripture, what you find missionaries globally doing as best missional practice all over the world, things that still work in Southeast Asia, Africa, South and Latin America. And then lastly, the, the, if you think of it as three overlapping circles, there's Scripture, best missional practice— and then the last circle will be, well, if missionaries use this all over the world, and, and I see the apostles using it, then obviously if movements of the Spirit in church history happen, 
I'll see those same principles in action there. Where you can see those three circles overlapping, that is what I call a church plantology principle. In other words, it's something that can be used anywhere at any time amongst anyone. Those principles, if you put them into practice, church planning will happen naturally. All right. Now, uh, before we go any further on all this, already, brother, I'm 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 listening to some of our listeners go, "Oh, this isn't for me. I'm not a church planter." Now, before you tune out and go over yes. to the to to the next news talk station on your dial, please hang out for a moment. I want to clarify something. Well, actually, I'm going to let Peyton clarify for you. Now, this book, Church Plantology, it is actually somewhat of a textbook. It is kind of designed for uh, uh, schools, seminaries, Bible colleges, and the like. But beyond that, and especially what Zondervan, the publisher, is already finding out, there is a market for this that goes beyond those who are called to planting churches. Why is this book, Peyton, so important for the average pew sitter and the person who is listening to us tonight in their car on their way home? I'm glad you asked that because um, church planning is actually, this is what I always tell people, church planning is what happens when you do the Great Commission. Uh, I I don't focus on planting churches because nowhere in the Bible does it tell me to focus on that. It tells me the Great Commission, that I'm to preach the gospel of the kingdom, I'm to be his witness, right, Acts Acts chapter Mm -hmm. 1, I'm to disciple, uh, make disciples, That's something all of us can do, and we're all called to do it. So I would say that the secret sauce to church planning is actually mobilizing every believer in their gifts, because everybody has gifts. You you remember when you're saved, all of us, when we came to faith, we all had this thing we wanted to do, like kind of like this burden, this thing that, that was just kicking out of our chest that we had to get out there. And we probably went to church leadership at one point and said, hey, could we do this? And one of two things happened. Most commonly, you probably got shot down. It'd probably be very rare that somebody said to you, that's amazing. Yes, let's do that. How can we help get that done? You see, church plants, because they're low to the ground, and they're about the mobilizing of every believer in their gifts, because things are small, it's all hands on deck. Everybody's gifts are required. Therefore, church plants, even though people go, I'm not a church planner, like I said, the secret is to mobilizing the average person to do what God's put in their heart. Once you do that, you've cracked the code of church planning. I, in chapter one, I say, look, I tell church planners I train, if you can tell me all about your church plan and what you're going to do, but the one rule is you can't start a Sunday service, once you've cracked that question, you've cracked the secret to planting. Because now you're amongst people like Paul was, like mm-hmm. Peter was, and Simon the, you know, Simon the Tanner's house, and Cornelius's living room. This is where the magic happens, and all of us are wired for that. That's that's not for professionals. That's for everybody. All right, now we're we're about ready to take our our our, our break here in just a moment, Peyton. But I I need to clarify for our audience. In the next uh, thirty forty minutes or so, we, we want to take you on a journey because. See, is, is, for those of you who know me well enough here on Lifeline, you know my heart beats for missions, beats for the church. It beats for evangelism. 
And quite frankly and quite honestly, if you are a Christian, a believer in Christ, your heart should be beating in the same way. Oh, you're, it, it's going to be unique uh, along with the certain gifts God has given you. But we should all have the heart of our Father. And the heart of our Father is really quite simple, seeking and saving that which was lost. How that goes mm-hmm. about to match your unique gifts that God has given you is something you'll need to take a journey and figure out. But everyone's heart should have this same sympathetic tune, this sympathetic string, this sympathetic chord that tells us that we are in tune with our Father's heart. And that is what we want to do tonight with Peyton as we work through his book, Church Plantology, which hits shelves today. You can go to Amazon, order it now. I would encourage you to do so. This is going to be the book you're going to go back to time after time after time to refresh and remind yourself again of what it is you're doing when you go out and live out loud, as the song says, <laughs> living la vida loca, baby, for the glory of God in Christ, right? So, Peyton, uh, we're going to take a quick time out. When we get back, we'll just kind of take a journey through your book, Hit and Miss. Uh, I want to start with uh, some numbers. Right there in the introduction, you've got some some very telling numbers that are, uh, it, man, if you look at it as an honest believer in Christ— they can be quite disconcerting and very alarming, and at least in my mind, I look at it, and it's heartbreaking. Our church, who we are, and we've lost sight of it, I think, here in the in the United States, anyway. So we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Let's take a quick time out. We'll check your traffic. And now off to the KFX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And we are back. It's Lifeline. Andy Froyland, my guest, Peyton Jones, here to talk about his brand new book that hits shelves today, as a matter of fact, Church Plantology, the Art and Science of Planting Churches. Now, as we mentioned, if you're just joining us, this isn't a book designed specifically for people who are, quote unquote, called to be a church planter. Uh, as we've discussed, if you've got the heart of God beating in you, uh, you're called to plant. Whether it's a church, plant the seed of Christ. Anytime you come face to face with somebody who is in need, and we'll talk about this, in need of the gospel, it's an opportunity for you to begin planting a church, if you will, for all intents and purposes. Uh, so with that in mind, Peyton, uh, I, I want to start kind of yeah, right here in the introduction of your book. You lay out some very uh, disconcerting numbers. Let me read this. Um, uh, blah, 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 wah, 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 wah. Oh, man, it's it's Peanuts' teacher. <laughs> 80%, I got to get to it, 80% of churches in America are plateaued or in decline. Out of the 20% left, only 7% grew by planting new congregations to carry the torch into the future. So 93% of the church is no longer reproducing itself. The church in America is in trouble. And man, I tell you, I, I read those numbers, brother, and I'm, I was just flat. Actually, I wasn't surprised. I, 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 you know, you look at the landscape, you and I are in unique positions within the body of Christ that we get, we get those Grand Canyon views of the church at large. And, 
while it doesn't surprise me, it still I still find myself flabbergasted that it is this dismal. Uh, what got us here, and is there a way out? Yeah, I, well, you know, I I spent some time in the opening tr- uh, chapter talking about the foundation that most church planning is built on, which I would argue is actually based on the science of the church growth movement, which looked at results pragmatically, just if it works, do it. Yeah. Not really asking, you know, well, what would happen if we did that? You know, what would be lost and sacrificed? Well, 90% of megachurches um, right now are declining in numbers, right? Um, So out of that, out of those statistics, if we took 100% of church plants, I mean, uh, mega churches, 90% of them are shrinking. So the, the, whatever the shifting sands of the church growth movement were built upon, um, it doesn't seem to be connecting with this next generation. What is connecting with the next generation is community, right? In an age where they're, uh, you know, they've been on, you know, social media all their life, they've been, they want connection, they want community. Younger families right now are gravitating towards the smaller church where they can know people, they can get together for barbecues, um, they can know one another's names. There's something unique shifting in culture and society where bigger is not necessarily better anymore. Now, these are old messages that, that I've been hammering on for years, but the church growth movement right now, kind of the old, what got us here is not going to get us there. Um, the turnaround, I believe, happens through community. Like, for example, um, very relevant to all of us is COVID-19. No sooner did COVID-19 hit than the average pastor, after the initial panic, oh, man, what are we going to do? We can't run the Sunday service anymore, immediately shifted to digital and used two metrics. Now, I know this because I work with some of the biggest denominations in the states in various levels, and their two metrics were, well, money's still coming in, and eyeballs are watching. In fact, they said, we are seeing more people watching from various places. They were looking to the Mac, people from other countries, all this. Well, notice how they're not talking about that anymore. Because what happened, and I knew this was going to happen, and you and I, we, we both have a love for Wales. We've been to Britain. We're very, very aware of what's happened in Britain. And I knew this is our pivotal moment in America, where what's happened in Britain now happens to us. I told people early on, I said, those people, you can count on anywhere from a third. That was my prediction. A third to half of those people will not be coming back. And here's why. They realized, and by the way, this statistic right now is 30% of the people that stopped coming when COVID hit never came back. Yeah. Here's why. My concern was, as soon as we tell them the secret, that if you go to church, you're only going to watch a show anyways. You don't get to do anything. Yeah. You can watch that from home and watch a show from home from the comfort of your living room on your own schedule, on your own time. You don't even have to tune in live. As soon as people cotton on to that, you become unnecessary. Yeah. However, however, if you read what they did in the early church, the early church was all about community. The early church, they took communion. Well, well we said they took communion. They ate together. Yeah. And as they ate the bread and drank the wine, they celebrated the Lord's Supper over a meal. They also did, you know, 30-something one another's, if you read the New Testament. Uh, When did they have time to do that if they were sitting in rows staring at the back of one another's heads? Well, the fact is, all of the things that we would encourage people to do 
to go back to a first century style is exactly the remedy for that kind of thinking. I can just watch a show at home, so why even bother going? Mm. So imagine if the value add was community. The community that the early church had in Acts 2.42, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to um, prayer, and you know, on, on and on it goes. The golden age of the church, everybody says it, it couldn't be any better. What was actually happening was they were getting discipled. The body was discipling one another. As that happened, they became natural-born church planners. Why do I say that? Because when Saul of Tarsus comes up, he ends up scattering the church so that the gospel goes into all Judea and everywhere else. And it says that they went up to Syria and Antioch and they planted, it, they didn't say plant a church, it just says, and they began to gather there, and then boom, it happens. So the amazing thing is when you have extremely well-discipled believers, church planting naturally occurs, hmm. right? That's yeah. all it was. It was Acts 2.42 being spread out all over the place. And the cause and effect, the cause was what happened in Acts 2.42. So that's what we train planners to do is harness your people, train them, empower them, build that kind of community. And as you do that, you as a, as a leader are like a coach. They are the star players. They're the ones on the ground. Every pastor tries to mobilize his congregation on the mission and feels like he's failing miserably. Well, our practice when we come together is they don't get to do anything. Hmm. So if, if we reorganize the church itself into becoming interactive, well, that becomes part of the power. People get discipled. People grow. People discover their gifts. When that happens, community begins to form. That's why we have a small group movement right now. Small groups who are saying, I sit in a small group, and I, I've never grown so much. See, they're, yes. they're noticing the difference. Nothing wrong with sitting in a, in, a, in a big audience, in a big church. I'm not anti-big church. The Holy Spirit dropped a bomb on the early church in Pentecost, and a mega church formed overnight. But it still says they met in temple courts. That was a big gathering. And from house to house. Yes. So yes. for me, looking at that, it's not that you have to choose or, or one's better than the other. It's just that there's this dynamic that we've missed that people are starting to rediscover. And COVID-19 has forced us to stop and pay attention. What have we missed all these years with all these big showy services? We missed the core component of discipleship. The church now is being forced to return to that because the churches that just think they're going to go back and start a big show up again are going to find the numbers disappointing. Yes. But those that say, no, it's about community, they've harnessed the secret that church planners already know. Brother, I cannot tell you how many churches, how many pastors I spoke to once COVID first kicked in. Uh, you know, they're going, what do we do? What do we do? And even here on Lifeline, I, I made I made the assertion that what you need to do is take all, gee, elders. Yeah, there's a reason God has elders in the church, and, and it's made up of elders. Send them out. Do small groups. Take your church to the people, and when you can meet in small settings with small groups— you're still okay. And you know, everyone's going, yeah. oh, yeah, no, 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 we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I tell you what, my, my nephew uh, started, a, he, he took it to heart, went to his pastor, said, we'd like to do this. And now uh, that has duplicated itself once already. And between the two home groups, they are thriving. 
And mm-hmm. it's like, man, we, you know, did we really miss the boat? Did we, did we have to go down the social media rabbit hole and see how far it went with uh, Alice, you know? <laughs> and on and on and on. We, we've got to take a quick time out, brother. When we come back, I want to, I want to uh, just kind of dive into this real quick as we start our next time together. Church planting versus church starting and the difference. That's on the other side of this break. We've got to take a quick time out. My guest is Peyton Jones. His book is Church Plantology, out today. Wherever they put ink to paper, you can buy it or go to Amazon. Pick it up there, Zondervan, wherever. It's out there. Ad nauseum. Grab yourself a copy. You'll need it. It's going to be an amazing journey that you go through when you pick this book up. Off to the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And we are back. It's Lifeline. Andy Froyland, my guest, is Peyton Jones. We're talking about his book, Church Plantology, The Art and Science of Planting Churches. And yes, you are a key part of all this. I know you're sitting in your car. You're thinking, ah, yeah, I'm not a church. No, you. Oh, yes, you are. And we're exploring how (laughs) and why here today on Lifeline as my guest uh, spends time with us looking over this new book that's out today, as a matter of fact. And again, wherever they put ink to paper, or you can even, they even have the audio book out. Go to Audible. Uh, pick it up at Audible. Uh, it's available there. This is going to be that one book that you're going to go back to time and time again as you are reminded and revitalized in your spirit about the calling of God on your life to go out and seek and save that which is lost. Church planting versus church starting there's a difference yeah well you know it's funny because church planting is when you start with the church in mind you start with the institution you say oh i want to start a church and i'm going to get a you know a sexy logo i'm going to get a flashy website i'm going to rent a building and i'm going to put a bunch of mailers out and the focus is a church well that wasn't paul's focus paul planted churches but he did it indirectly. So the, the number one way he did it was he actually sowed the seeds of the gospel. The word planting comes from the, the whole idea of I sowed, another watered, and uh, God alone gave the increase. So planting comes out of that metaphor that you start with the gospel, and the power of the gospel works in people's lives to transform them. And when that happens, a church forms. So case in point, recently um, I met with uh, a big missions organization who said, hey, Peyton, we need you to come over and talk to us. We're in like 34 different countries. Um, We translate discipleship tools. When we translate these discipleship tools, we find ourselves accidentally getting into the church planning business because all of a sudden, all these people in India and uh, Bangladesh or, you know, maybe uh, Honduras or wherever it is, they're suddenly saying, uh, we need help planting a church because churches are just happening. They're springing up and we don't, we don't know how to lead them. We don't know what to do. So there's an old saying that says, if you plant a church, discipleship doesn't necessarily happen. But if you disciple, church planning <laughs> will happen. And that's exactly what they're finding. So they're, they're asking me, hey, could you come over and help us with church planner training? Because we're not in that business. We're in the discipleship translation tool business. You know, we, we, we translate very simple tools that average people can use. And this is the point. This is why when you're, when, when you're reading accurately the, the mind of your listener, you know, the person driving home right now saying, I'm not a church planner. Are you sure? 
because <laughs> church planning is done with small teams, real church planning, not church starting. Church starting, you get the big launch, you reach critical mass, you invest $100,000, maybe two, 300000 these days. Church planning is low to the ground. It's using the gifts of the people around you. And, and if you don't believe me, just think Paul and his couple people. They just go into a community. Philippi, oh, they see a woman down by the river praying. Let's join in. That's church planning. Mm. Jesus taking 12 people, <laughs> reluctant, not a single one of those except for John and maybe Andrew, who were following John the Baptist. Those are the only two. The other 10 never saw themselves as being cut out for ministry. In fact, when Peter saw what was happening, he said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a wicked and sinful man. You have no idea who you're dealing with. Yeah. <clears throat> when, when I plan a church, we start these old form, you know, these old small groups. And what I start doing is I, I don't tell them. I tell the leader because I'll always shout at myself. I'll start a group, hand it over to someone I'm discipling. Start another small group, hand it over. What I don't tell all the people gathered, we start them with 10 people each. We wait for them to grow to 20. Then it becomes a core team for church plan. What I don't tell these people is they are a part of a core team, a church planning core team. They just think they're believers, engaging on mission together, reading the Bible, praying, taking communion together in our midweek. Then none of them realize I sucker them into being a church planning core team. But by the time we're done with them and we shoot them out, they're ready because they've been on mission with us for about six months to a year. And they're chomping at the bit. They're completely transformed. They're not pew sitters anymore. Right. They're literally, they're practitioners. And they know how to pray for people. They know how to inter- interact in discussion with non-believers. Not like the Bible says and like beating people over the head, but actually engaging, thought, listening. And, oh, I see how you could believe that. You know, the way that, that, that God has shown me this is, blah, blah. And, you know, it says in the Bible, you know, I found this in my life and I'm having a hard time trust God. And they lead people to Christ. They keep leading people gently to Christ. And, 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 and we have to train people and take them there. They don't get there naturally. But right. that's not what we do. Often we're trying to fatten up the crowd and get it. But church planning says, like Jesus, let's take 12 people who never even, or 10 people who never even saw themselves able to do anything of spiritual value. Let's play a big joke on them. Because that's <laughs> what I think Jesus did with those 12. And well, that's eventually people are like, you sucking me in the plan of church. And they love it. <laughs> well, and, 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 and Peyton, this kind of takes me to the next point because we've kind of been toying around the, the, the outskirts of this. And I'm an epigraph guy. I love epigraphs, especially if a guy knows where to place them in a, in a book he's written. And I, you're one of the best epigraphers I know, brother. I, I just got to say it. But in, in chapter nine of your book, the epigraph is really telling. Uh, It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer's from his letters and papers from prison. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. And this, it it, it plays to the point I want in in the next uh, five minutes or so, you know, we've talked about how to get guys, uh, men and women energized, but really at the heart of it. The energizing needs to take place by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We need that passion, that first love of Christ again, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because the idea of the suffering, it's so funny. Like, um, you know, pe- people don't realize, like, their spiritual gifts. Most people don't know what their spiritual gifts are. And I have learned to ferret out spiritual gifts through a, an elaborate process. 
I might have mentioned this to you before on another call, but what we do is when we're going to church plant, I gather these unwitting hapless souls, right, together somewhere in, in, in somewhere in the city. I know when we planned in Long Beach, I got them in the Holiday Inn right by the airport. It's this big round tower with a panoramic view of the city. And we got up in that building, and I, I broke them all up into groups at little round tables, and I threw newspapers down on each table. And I said, right, what I want you guys to do is circle all the needs of the city, all the places where the city's broken and needy and needs Jesus. So people went through, and they saw kids aging out of foster care. They saw prison stuff. They saw all kinds of things that, that really gave them a burden. And uh, so after that, uh, I said, look, I want you to share or I want you to circle in red the one if you could do something about. Now, remember that question way back in the beginning, which was, hey, uh, if you could do something, you know, like when you first came to Christ, you had something you want to do. Usually it's connected. Yeah. They circle in red the one that, that points to their burden, because what we're burdened for, we're passionate about. And what we're passionate about is usually what we're divinely gifted by the Holy Spirit. See, your gifts are not my gifts. My right. gifts are not your gifts. We're like a kaleidoscope. Each one of us was deposited different gifts. And that's what Peter, when he stands up on and acts on Pentecost and says, hey, go, what is this? And he goes, hey, this isn't unique to me. I'm using my gifts, but in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. You're old, you're young, you're male, you're female, you're, uh, you're servants, you're rich, everybody is going to use her gifts. And he says, you'll dream driven. I can say it, dream dreams, uh, see visions, this and that. What Peter's saying is when your gifts, when the Holy Spirit comes in you, your gifts become awakened. Now, a lot of people just don't know what they are. So we help people figure out. So that idea of what you suffer, there's, there's that thing in each one of us where we're like, we're, we're like the good Samaritan. As we're walking through our city, we just can't keep walking by something. And one of the things I say is that's your burden. That's the thing you can't keep walking by. And that's, you know, I'll ask people, get up and share about what you circle and read, those one or two things. People are crying in those meetings. They're broken. And I'm like, okay, I've just had 10 people circle the same right thing. Obviously, that is where the Holy Spirit wants us to pick a fight with sin or evil Mm. in the city. That becomes... To me, that is what they are suffering. People are suffering. Each one of us has something. We're sin. We are suffering like Jesus, who is a man of sorrows. He was suffering for our sin before he ever died for it. It was hurting him. It was bothering him. And he couldn't just keep walking by it. And that is what starts to happen. We start to become like Christ in that community. We become the embodiment, the incarnation of Jesus in our city. Now, when believers harness that, watch out. That's what the Holy Spirit put those gifts in there for. Amen and amen. Uh, What is it? Stephen Charnock said it is the height of self-centeredness to be content to go to heaven alone. And really, that is what Mm. we're talking about today. Are you content to go to heaven alone? Or are you seeing the hurt and the suffering around you and longing for the balm of Gilead to have its perfect work? We need to take a quick time out. When we come back, we will continue conversation with Peyton Jones. Church Plantology, out today. Wherever books are sold, pick up a copy now. Off to the KFAX Traffic Center. And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
And we are back. It is Lifeline. Andy Froyland in for Craig Roberts tonight. My guest is the author of a book called Church Plantology, The Art and Science of Planting Churches. And really, it is a book designed not just, although it is used in seminaries, Bible colleges, in uh, academic settings, this book um, is really a book that is designed for you. Just you, yeah, average Joe, you, average Jane, you, somebody who has a heart for Christ, a longing to see him glorified in the life you're living, and how to live it out. This book is going to be amazing. It'll be transformative for you. As we uh, as we kind of wrap things up here tonight, Peyton, um, I, I was really captivated uh, all the way in chapter 16, Scattering on Mission is the title of the chapter. <laughs> But you you open up that chapter with an amazing bit of homework that you offer up your church planting class, and uh, it was it's like oh yeah you know we could talk about this all day but do it wait a minute what and and you're right you've got to lead by example otherwise there's no leading at all um, you pretty much uh, give some homework for the week and you tell your class to go back to your community and win one person for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, wait a minute, what? What? I thought I'm just learning. Well, yeah. Uh, it is about the fact of doing, isn't it? it? It's not just, you know, we're not just, was it like uh, like the two guys at the gate in Pilgrim's Progress where they're sword playing all day long and they're just, they're sword playing and they don't fight the giant. Right. You know, we've got right. to fight the giant, don't we? Right. No, it's funny, you know, <clears throat> I'm I'm hard on church planners because... Again, like I said, they're often church starters, and I want to create. When I get a room full of people wanting to to join a church planning class or a training session, I want to make sure that we're weeding out the men from the boys, the the women from the girls. I want to make sure that what we're getting ready to work with is actually church planners. So I tell them, look, rock stars, I read your newsletters. You're out there telling people we're going to witness city for Jesus. We're going to take it for the kingdom of God, and you've just balked because I said. Go win one person to Jesus this week. I mean, that is kind of what this is about, right? <laughs> and uh, I mean, we can hide behind theological platitudes all the. But all wait, day long. Peyton, what? I'm I an evangelist. Know. I'm not an evangelist. <laughs> I'm a church planter. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, right? If you if you go to 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 to, to Paul and you see what his ministry was, it was proclaiming Christ everywhere he yes. went. Yes, all of us can do that. Right, all of us can be his witnesses. We don't have to be evangelists. He didn't call us all to be evangelists. He called us all to be his witnesses. And so, how are you going to witness Christ? Right, witnessing Christ is everything. It's verbal. I hate when people go witness, 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 and if necessary, speak. It is necessary to speak. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, it it will always be necessary, but it, it has to be your life. Also, yeah. has to be both. Can't be either or. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things, I, I try to give that assignment because in order to mobilize the church, you first have to mobilize the leader. I find the leader is often the bottleneck. If a leader is out there leading people to Christ, the congregation will follow because they will see that example. 
they will mark that that is something valued by the leadership. And, and those you, types yeah, of leaders. You see that in denominations, yeah. don't you? I mean, I, you know, yeah. you, you and I, we have reformed uh, theology uh, perspectives. We, we, we're, you know, we, we have that bent to us. But I, I thoroughly appreciate, enjoy, and embrace my charismatic brothers because, like the pastors who are just passionate for Christ, they're out there doing it. Meanwhile, I go to a Reformed church yeah. sometimes. I'm thinking, man, hello, anybody in there? There, there, there. But you're right. It, it, yeah. it, the leadership it sets the tone, don't they? Absolutely. You know, one of the one of the crazy things is that Alan Hirsch has done a lot of work on something called the APES, which is Apostolic, Prophetic, Evangelistic, Shepherd, and Teacher. We all know those types of leaders, right? Like yeah. I would say Tozer uh, was largely a prophetic type of leader. Um, he, he seemed to just say things that nobody else said that just cut through prophetically all of the nonsense, right? Yeah. He, he understood and discerned the times. We would say he was a more of a prophetic leader. Then you have Lloyd-Jones, who was a teacher extraordinaire, but he was also something else. He also went to the Dockside Presbyterian. I actually think he was more apostolic. He kind of left yeah. the highbrow London environment, went to the Welsh Presbyterian, you know, the, the docks, and, and ministered to the steel workers, yeah. Dockside workers. Um, and as an apostolic, he, he not apostolic with a weird, you know, theological, I mean, just in the New Testament sense, word of missionary, yeah. he, he mobilized others like Paul. I mean, Ian Murray in this biography, The Fight of Faith, volume two of the Lloyd-Jones biography, talks about all the things that Lloyd-Jones started inevitably, like, or started around him. Well, yeah. that, that's the mobilization part of an of a, of a apostolic catalyst. That's what Wesley was. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't even an evangelist. He was an apostate. He was a missionary. He moved all over, and he catalyzed everywhere he went. That's what Paul was. So I believe you have five different types of leaders. And when you mention, like, the the reform movement, I see that as a teacher movement, right, teacher-led right. movement. Yep. I see the, the charismatic and Pentecostal as a prophetic-led movement. And these guys often throw rocks at each other. But could you imagine getting them in the same room oh my and having them on the same leadership team, how they would each balance each other out? Theologically, the, the, the prophetic leader would be balanced by the knowledge of the teacher. The teacher's knowledge would not become dry, arid, stale, and, and, and actionless. The prophetic leader would say, well, let's do some of that stuff you're expounding about. I actually believe the Holy Spirit wants to do that right now. You put them together. It, it, and that's, that's what church planning does. Church planning actually brings these different types of people together. And that, that is actually how I discovered um, – that these things are in operation today. Not weird. There's, uh, you know, there's no one. The twelve were the twelve. They were special apostles, superpowers, all that. None of us have that. But the New Testament word for missionary is apostolic. Yeah. Um, prophetic doesn't have to mean telling the future or anything weird like that. I've mentioned Tozer. He's as tame as they get. But when you see these different types of leaders that Ephesians four says flesh out the ministry of Jesus. That's what it, Paul is saying that to equip the saints to do the work in the ministry. God gave these five different roles, which he says were the embodiment of Jesus's ministry. So if I'm to go into a community, I want to show them not an arm, not a leg, not just a piece of Jesus. You know, like, here's the teacher. It's like, here's his left arm. Yeah. Well, here's his leg. That's the prophet. I want to show the full ministry of Jesus by letting people use the gifts God gave them. And again, it's a mobilization piece. And I want... 
all of your listeners today, if you took one thing away from this or you grab church plantology, it is for you because any church, and you don't have to be a church plant, these principles are New Testament principles. This could just be a crash course on mission and activating you on mission, every believer on mission. To me, that's the core and the heart of church planting. Church Plantology, it is out today, available wherever they put ink to paper, and you can do it online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, take your pick. It's out there. Grab a copy. You'll be better for it, I promise. I guarantee it. Uh, If not, your money back. I'll pay it back, all right? This is the book. (laughs) This is the one that'll get you rolling. Peyton Jones, my guest tonight, the author of this book. Peyton, brother, as always, uh, what a privilege and delight, man. I, I always enjoy spending time with you. It, it just goes way too fast. Thanks for thanks for hanging out with us tonight. I appreciate it. And you can also get it on Audible. It That's is right. an audio book. It is an audio book. Kindle, so. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so take advantage of it today, friends and family and everyone alike. That's going to do it for us here tonight on Lifeline. I do thank you for spending the evening with us. I trust you've been encouraged and uh, challenged in your walk and relationship with Christ. Thanks to Wanda for putting this thing together and uh, you for your ears. You're the reason we do what we do around here. Uh, Take care. Tomorrow night, uh, we are back and let's see, who do we have? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Ryan Rippey will join me tomorrow night. And man, it's going to be a barn burner. You don't want to miss Lifeline tomorrow night right here on KFAX. Have a great one. Take care. We'll see you. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.